Welcome to Training for Manhood, an ongoing exploration and adventure intended to be fast, fun, and formative for guys who desire to be the best men they can. Young or old, there are always areas for improvement, growth, and maturity. We hope you'll pay attention and put into practice the useful advice you hear on this podcast. But remember, the goal isn't just to listen, but to do what you learn. Welcome to Training for Manhood. All right, welcome back to Training for Manhood. This is Dan Panetti. I've got uh, Gabe, Mike, and Parker still with me talking about Wild at Heart uh, from John Eldridge, a great book. We've uh, gone through the first six chapters of the book, so hopefully you've been uh, reading along with us. We're getting ready to dive into uh, Chapter 7, Healing the Wound, um, 8 and 9 as well. So um, what are you guys' thoughts uh, starting with Chapter 7? What, what's, uh, what's, your, what's your takeaway? What are your nuggets that you got? Well, for me, it, it really started with, uh, you know, one of the anchor statements I got out of chapter seven, which is, <laughs> I don't trust a man who hasn't suffered. <laughs> so for me, that was great. It's, it's actually what he, what he's, what he's saying. It, it, it's, it's, if you haven't been through something, been able to identify the wound and allowed God to heal or begin that healing process, if you've never, in a sense, um, understand kind of your brokenness, um, you're in a position where, um, I think what Eldridge would say, right, and what we would see um, is that you feel like you're capable of doing life on your own and that you're in control, um, and that's a dangerous person to be around. That's, that's, a, that's a person that's going to be difficult, right, in marriage, uh, to work with, uh, to have as a friend um, that is uh, self-reliant um, and doesn't understand uh, their weaknesses. And, and a lot of times they're um, they're a lot easier on themselves and hard on others as opposed to being hard on themselves and as Gabe said earlier, right? Graceful or easy on, on others. So that's yeah. a, that's a good John, word. John actually says, he says, healing never happens outside of intimacy with Christ. Yeah. That the healing of our wound flows directly out of our union with him. Mm. Um, so, so, yeah. Beautiful. So I don't trust a man who hasn't suffered. So why don't I trust Christ? <laughs> you know, it, it, yeah, it, that's, uh, a great, yeah, that's a great point. I, that's the, that's where I anchored when I yeah. heard that. It's like, yeah. yeah, the men I trust the most in my life now yeah, are ones that have most. suffered the most. Amen. And then I'm thinking, why the heck am I not all in on Christ who suffered more than I could define? Yeah. And then it, it, that's the that's the path. Yeah. He will give me the new heart. He will be the physician. So why don't I start with my trust in Him? Yeah. I like my favorite line out of that chapter, um, one thirty on page one thirty seven says, "You cannot be the man who rescues until you are the man without a horse, <laughs> a man who needs to be rescued." Right, a man who needs rescuing. True, true strength does not come out of bravado. Until we are broken, our life will be self-centered, self-reliant. Our strength will be our own. And I think we we would agree with that. That we've seen that not only in our own lives, but we've seen that in other men. Um, that oftentimes we run into men uh, who are trying to do life on their own without the strength of God, um, because they don't understand how broken they are. Yeah, and it's yeah. I mean, it's such a simple principle, right? Like you can't give what you don't possess. True. Right. Like you can't teach what you've never been taught or learned. Uh, It's the same. I think about like whenever when I was coaching baseball, uh, I I had a guy look at me and say, hey, learn how to become a really great assistant coach before you ever desire to be a head coach. Ouch. Yeah, (laughs) that's a good word. I don't even know what you're saying right now, but I think that sounds really wise. And it turns out it was it was really accurate uh, that until I learned to do all the little things on the side, until I learned to be the one who is completely dependent, man, I can't teach anybody. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't help anybody uh, until I've learned how to be helped. 
Uh, and so, yeah, I think, I think that's super important. So I'll go into story time here. So I've got three boys, obviously we've mentioned it before. My oldest, uh, was God's way to humble me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so funny enough, he gives me a son just like me mm-hmm. and he is just super defiant, super hyperactive, ADHD, all the things that, uh, you would expect if you knew me mm. and he's breaking stuff. He's five or six years old. I don't remember what it is, but I, you know, I'm railing at God and the only place I can do this with peace and quiet. Cause we had three under the age of five was in the shower. So I'm, I'm <laughs> slash praying, yelling at God, God, why won't he listen? Doesn't he know? Doesn't my son know how much I love him? I've got the best in mind for him. And, the Holy Spirit's like, you knucklehead. I've been telling you for 35 years, and you still don't listen to me. Why don't you start there and see what happens with your son as you finally listen to me? Yeah. And that, now I don't like to take showers. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> I haven't taken a shower but, since. But we can tell, Mike. It, it was we can s- tell. We're all in the same room. So freaking convicting. Yeah. Here, I've got the best in mind, and I finally get unconditional love because I'm looking at these boys that I love. And I'm not looking at the father that loves me. Yeah, yeah. Having having kids is a uh, um, just an incredible journey um, into self awareness, right? Because because there's there's so many things that you want to pass on to your kids, and you wonder why uh, they don't listen and why they don't respond and why they. Or, I mean, I've had. Yes. You know, I tell my kids, you know, I, I shouldn't have to repeat myself. I remember saying that to my kids. I, sh- I shouldn't have to repeat myself. I've said it once. Right? I mean, you know, and I I laugh because it's almost as if God's going, and I should. Yes. Right? And do I do I need to repeat myself? Because because the reason that I shouldn't have to repeat myself is because I'm speaking from authority. I'm your father, and what I'm saying is right, true, and good. Mm-hmm. So I, I shouldn't have to say it more than once. And and it's almost as if God's saying, and and I need to repeat myself, right? Because I yeah, I'm speaking from a position of authority. I'm God, and what I'm saying is right, true, and good. So Dan Panetti. Why would, why would I have to repeat myself to you, right? If you don't have to repeat yourself to your boys, and I'm like, oh, that's that's a good point. Mm-hmm. So good stuff. Yeah, I think um, along with the Christ being the chief sufferer that we should go to him is also he's the chief physician. Mm. Um, I think it's interesting. Um, we have a friend who's a doctor. And anytime something's wrong, be like, hey, can you check this out? Hey, can you look at my broken <laughs> finger? Or, and it's very easy to display the wound to him yep. because his um, a doctorate degree in his profession is proof that I can show him the wound because he'll know what to do with it. Right. Um, but with Christ, it's so weird that we are terrified to show him our wound. Um, and I, there's this great quote of some of us are okay with being in the presence of Jesus um, and just living with our problems. And um, he says, um, this guy says that healing cannot come until the problem is exposed. If you're hurting, you need to uncover it, even if it hurts. Um, and the idea of um, the, he lists out a couple steps for healing, Eldridge does, and that first one is just surrendering the wound. And it's so wild that our greatest sufferer who can sympathize and then our, our greatest physician who can actually heal, um, we have to go to him, we think, with this idea that we have it all together. And it's like walking into a doctor's office with a massive limp, and you'd be like, oh, no, I'm all good. <laughs> and then Christ is like, I see where you hurt. You just have to uncover it and show it to me. Just yeah. merely a flesh wound. <laughs> <laughs> that's an old reference. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's true. I mean, I just I just went into um, a doctor's office, um, you know, 
our, our doctor uh, is also my doctor and he's just like, Hey, you're about to be 53 and you need to go see a cardiologist, you know, cause we got to keep that, you know, that heart ticking. Um, so I just went in and, uh, and got a CT scan. And so they, they actually look at, you know, your, I guess your, your arteries and your four valves and all the different things and seeing if you have any plaque buildup. And it was, it was great to actually get numbers back on something, you know, because I, I can't see inside, right? I can't see if there's something that's going to be a potential problem. Um, but I know so many people who are afraid to go to the doctor, you know, they're afraid to go to the dentist, they're afraid to go to the, they're afraid to go to different things, right? Because something that's going to happen is going to hurt, or I'm going to get bad news. And it's like, what? <laughs> but that doesn't change anything, right? I mean, getting bad news gives you an opportunity to change then and do something different. If you don't know, right, you're just, you're a walking time bomb. Ignorance is not a resolution. Yes. Ignorance is not a resolution, that's right? Good. So good stuff. Yeah. Okay. So um, so that's 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 chapter seven, right? Chapter We've kind of made it through this yep. section where we're dealing with our own wounds uh, and, and proper ways to find healing um, and, and things like that. Chapter eight, I feel like, takes a pretty hard turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Mike's got some passion that that lies within this chapter uh, as he starts to talk about a battle to fight. Um, so we've gone on from from addressing the wounds that we've incurred, uh, maybe before we even knew or understood we were in a fight for our masculinity. Uh, and as we've started to patch or heal those wounds, we now recognize there's a greater battle at war. There, there's a war continually um, advancing on our hearts within our culture, uh, coming from within, but also from an enemy outside, um, but also the world. Uh, and, and so uh, I, I just want to start with um, just a, one thought that I had that was really clarifying for me as we start to look at how we start to go on the offensive mm-hmm. um, now that we understand that, uh, that there is an enemy. Um, and, and, and it's this idea of, he keeps bringing up this idea of a warrior, right? And this is such, again, going back to this toxic masculinity that I talked about last time, it's such a, an off-putting term to say that there's a bunch of warriors in this room. Um, and so when he starts to talk about this idea of a warrior, uh, he makes a really clear distinction between a warrior and a mercenary, mm. which I found was really, really helpful for me. Uh, and he says this, he says, for years... All of my daily energy was spent trying to beat the trials in my life and arrange for a little pleasure. And I thought, man, I wonder how many other guys in this world would say, that's pretty much my entire life. Yes. I'm trying to overcome the things in my own strength that are going wrong in my life or in my family or in my job. Um, and then I'm just trying to carve out just some small sliver of pleasure that I can find. And unfortunately, most of it is not rock climbing. Most of it is found somewhere in sin. That's for a different podcast. But then he goes on, he says, my weeks were wasted away, either striving or indulging. And he says, I was a mercenary. A mercenary fights for pay for his own benefit. His life is devoted to himself. I thought, man, if this doesn't describe everything that's been leading up to this point of, of a man or someone who would call themselves a warrior fighting only for themselves. So he makes this distinction. A mercenary fights for themselves. He says, a true warrior serves something or someone mm. higher than himself. Yep. Uh, man, if you just think back of all the movies um, of these heroes, when it comes to a warrior in battle, like 
none of these guys were doing it for themselves. There was something else that was that was drawing this strength uh, out of them, this desire to fight for what was right or what was good. Uh, and so I just want to throw that out there and see where you guys take that idea of the idea between uh, many men that we know living as mercenaries devoted to fighting a battle that only benefits themselves if they win versus a warrior who is fighting for something much greater than them. Yeah. Yeah, it's impossible to sell out for a mission if it's just for your pleasure. Mm. If it's a cause greater than yourself, that's what the movies are made of. That's Maximus saying, I'm going to fight for somebody else regardless of my outcome. That's the guy in the foxhole who gets out of the foxhole and takes on the machine gun. And he just does it not for himself. He does it because I can't let my friends down next to me. It's always something bigger than himself that pulls him out of the foxhole and gives them something other than being a mercenary. It's, uh, it's phenomenal. And we get into these two chapters in 8 and 9 about what's, what's, what do we have to be aware of and what's the strategy to combat it, and mostly we have to be aware of ourselves in <laughs> chapter 8. He's talking about, guys, you've got to know what your motives are. Yeah. Why am I doing what I'm doing? I, I will sabotage myself more than the enemy. I mean, I don't have to make the enemy work. Mm. I'll take myself out of the game before he even has to lift his hand. Uh, being a military guy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to anchor on something from Sun Tzu, who wrote The Art of War. Mm. And this is a great application. It's everything I, I hear in these two chapters. If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained will also suffer a defeat. Mm-hmm. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. I mean, it, it's everything that God's already told us. Yeah. You go into this fight on your own, you're dead meat before you even cross the line of departure. Yeah, so true, so true. The chapter eight was was one of my favorite, actually, in the in the entire book. I loved it. Um, I loved. Um, maybe this may be an odd statement. Um, it's he writes it down as Brent Curtis statement, page one forty nine. He said, "Let the people feel the weight of who you are and let them deal with it." Um, and I just, I was, I was so struck with that, um, concept, right. Of, of, and what you just said, right. If, if you know who you are and whose you are, um, and knowing that you're fighting from a position of victory, um, and that the adventure you have to live and the battle that you have to fight one has already been won through Christ. Um, but then two, the battle that you're fighting isn't just for yourself or to make yourself better, but is, is part of a eternal journey that you're on, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's something larger than just yourself. Um, but it, it can capture your whole life and give it meaning and significance and, and not just you, but one of the things I love about scripture is how often it talks about, um, passing your faith on down from generation to generation to generation. And so whatever you're doing now, right? Your kids are going to feel the impact of, and they're going to be able to pass on to their kids and they're going to pass on to their kids. So they're going to pass on to their kids. And you can literally leave a legacy of faithfulness for generations to come. Right. And I'm like, that's, that's an amazing part, right? Everything that you do to connect yourself more to Christ and deeper in Christ is going to have, right. A, a, a resonating effect for generations to come right? Beyond what you'll even see. And I think that's, you know, that's an amazing thing. Um, so it's not just about, you know, getting yourself better, right? You know, being successful, right? It really is leaving a legacy uh, um, of faith um, that you can walk, you know, not and, and you know, beyond what you're even going to see. And, and I, I love that concept that I think 
kind of was encapsulated in Curtis's statement. Yeah, I think kind of a mix of all three of what y'all said. I love the term sabotage that he talked about. Um, and he says that sabotage happens when we when we give our strength away. Mm. Um, and if you think about it, like the idea of a mercenary has no one that he needs to live for other than himself. And so when he has wounds, going back to those wounds, there's no need to heal them. Um, and that is the most selfish thing I think in, in the world is to not want to run at full strength. Um, and if that idea of that we are living in victory and earlier, like you said, if we aren't even having Satan fight us, it's just us self-sabotaging. It's like anytime we are not healing wounds, we're not only self-sabotaging, which is horrible, but we're also sabotaging people in our lives. We are putting them at risk. I um, heard this quote the other day of, you are ruining people's day or you are wasting their time if you're not in God's word. Yeah. And if you approach them not being in God's word that day, you are not only sabotaging yourself right, by not addressing wounds or hurts, but you're also wasting their time by the words that you speak and the way that you live isn't under God's control, God's authority, and under God's healing. And so that idea is that is a mercenary. As a mercenary does what he does is best for him, but if it comes down to it, it he doesn't need to perform for anybody else other than himself. Yeah. I mean, that takes me back again to James, right? And I mean, there there is not a day that we walk out of our house without looking in the mirror to examine what we look like physically. There, there just isn't. I don't know anybody who would do that, right? Um, it may not be that you like what you see, right? But you, you don't just roll out of bed, right, without brushing your teeth, doing your hair, right, Gabe? Combing the, your beard. Yeah, putting the beard, yeah. you know, stuff on. You don't yeah. do that anymore, right? You just come no, no. all, all natural <laughs> with the beard. No, no, never. Um, but it's just, and, and the idea that we go out without examining who we are, honestly, from a spiritual perspective, um, are, are you alive in Christ or dead? Um, and if you're walking with the Lord, right, there's the Holy Spirit is, who is constantly bringing to mind things that need to be addressed in your life. Um, and that still small voice, are you ignoring that or are you paying attention to it? And I think that's the concept, right, is, you know, Parker, you know, the, the concept of if, if you don't have time in the word, then when you go out into the day, you're literally wasting other people's time because they're expecting you, right? Hey, if you're, if you're a son of the king, they're expecting you then to carry that into the kingdom and to represent that well. And if you're not, right, then the best that I can offer, and, and people think this is good enough, the best that I can offer is the wisdom of Dan Panetti, which, I mean, if you think about it, right, is no more wise than, you know, any of the other 7 billion people on the planet. So who really cares? Yeah. But if I have an opportunity to take the wisdom of God, to speak, right? I mean, Proverbs says that we have the, the, the power of life and death in our tongue, right? We literally have this power to speak life into people, uh, in, into the situations we are, because we have the power to speak the words of God, hope and healing and truth and goodness and kindness. We have the opportunity to do that. The question is, are we taking time right, to put ourselves in a situation where God is able to speak into us and then through us. Well, we we forget that because we forget we're even in a fight. Yeah, totally. I mean, Eldridge yeah. makes a good point at it the does. end here saying, hey, did you forget we're at war? Do you forget we're in a spiritual battle? And if I forget that... I'm going to, I'm going to absolutely ignore, sure. ignore the armor of God. Yeah. I'm going to ignore his word as I go out into the, the workplace or as I meet my family in the morning, I, I'll totally forget. Uh, we'll drop another movie quote here. Usual suspects. Kaiser Sose played by Kevin Spacey says the greatest trick the devil ever pulled 
was convincing the world he didn't exist. Yes. And we fall yes. for the trap over and over again. Yep. Like, I won't armor up because I forget I'm fighting somebody yeah. that's bigger and stronger than me. So I don't go get the guy who created the world to help me fight. I just leave it at the door. Yep. And I walk out without any armor, ready to take a sucking chest wound. Yeah. I, I wrote down um, it just as he's starting to go through the strategy of how we fight it, it just to add to what you said mike is he says that if we ignore the enemy then he wins mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. if we forget that we're in a fight then mm-hmm. he wins um and, and so even as he's starting to to help us understand like a strategy of how we fight uh, I, I just wrote down and this goes in line with exactly what you said uh is that learning to fight starts with remembering uh, and by remembering, that's that's an active that's an active thing, right? Not forgetting is passive, <laughs> but remembering something is something that I've got to go back to. Where do I go back to? Where he goes? He says, "Man, spend two weeks in prayer and see what happens." Mm. Like spend two weeks um, every morning, just going to God, just like shoring up that relationship with Him, spending that time with Him. Go back to Scripture. That's what that's what Jesus did when He was in a fight, right? What did He do? He He went back to God's Word. Uh, he started quoting scripture to the enemy um, in order for him to flee. Uh, and then even this idea of putting on the armor, right? This is us going back to scripture, but, but owning it as ours and remembering that just what you said, Dan, is that like we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. Like he's already won. Uh, and even in an earlier chapter, um, Eldridge makes this point of like men who act like this, like Satan's scared of them. Yeah. It, this is why that that's why we're under attack is because men that act like men, uh, Satan has a reason to be scared, uh, not because of how great we are, but how great God is, who is working in and through us every yeah. single day. You know, I'm teaching through um, Ecclesiastes right now, and it's so funny how, you know, uh, Solomon's writing about how much time and energy and effort we, we put on things under the sun, right? Things that are meaningless and insignificant, right? Vanity upon, among vanities, right? It's vapor. It wasted. It goes away. And I, I just, I thought about him, I'm, you know, in chapter five, and I was just thinking about this, this statement as he's going through. How many of us have ever spent extra time at work, right? Like an extra hour at the office, you know, or had to go in on a Saturday to do something at work. And then, juxtapose that next to how many of us have ever spent just extra time in the word of God. So let's say, you you know, I've I've got a devotional time, you know, I get it done and you just said, you know what, you know, today I'm just going to spend some extra time in the word, right? I'm just going to spend some extra time in prayer. And it's so funny how I think that's, that's, that's the ploy of the enemy is the battle that we're fighting, uh, the adventure that we're living, right? The things that we're chasing aren't significant. They're not meaningful. And that's where, Right. We don't realize that the enemy is real because he's right. I mean, this is screw tape letters, right? This is mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis, right? He, right. We're so focused on the temporal and getting ahead there and fighting that battle that we forget the eternal and the significance of it. Uh, and we, we just, you know, we don't arm ourselves up for that. And so, um, you know, we, we spend a little bit of time with God. We go to church on a Sunday here and there. Right, we play around with it, but it doesn't really change our lives. It doesn't really affect the way that we do life. Um, but, I'll, but I'll tell you this, right? If if your business called you and said, "Hey, I need you to spend some more time," right? We'd drop everything and go do that. And and unfortunately, at the end of our days, right? And this goes back to um, a poem that Eldridge actually included in there, you know, before. And it's the, you know, men past forty, right? Wake up, they look around and they wonder where had life gone or something like that. I mean, it's, it's a great poem, um, but it's just that concept of so many 
young people are starting off their journey pursuing things that aren't significant, right? They're pursuing success and they're going to get to 50, 60, 70 and they're going to look back and they say, what was that all for? And, and I wish, right, that a young guy could pick up this book and say, hey, the, the battle that I'm really fighting, right, is a spiritual battle. Um, and Christ is the one that I need to be connected with. And that's ultimately what's going to make me successful and prosperous is knowing God and, and making him known. The rest of this stuff, it's all insignificant as compared to that. I think like going back to that battle mindset, like you see in every movie, anybody who claims to be the underdog in the, a battle mm-hmm. scene, their main tactic is this thing called ambush, right? And that is a, a surprise attack. Yeah. Um, an ambush only works is if the other team is not ready, if the, um, if the people are not prepared. And the time when an ambush happens and the other team is prepared, they call it a trap. And like, oh, they knew about it. And I think that's what the enemy is. The enemy is claiming to be the underdog. He knows he's lost, right? He knows he's out of it. He knows he is at loss. And we are living in victory. But when we do not have armor on or the Holy, right, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, if we don't have the armor of Christ with us, right, it's an ambush and we get taken out. But if we are prepared, right, and we, we know that there is always something that can come, right, when the underdog comes in, he can't win. It's impossible. And so I just love that idea of, like, how embarrassing that is that Satan is claiming to be the underdog, claiming to be the one who needs the most help, having to have all the tactics, when it's like, as long as we're prepared, right, Satan doesn't stand a chance. I love it. All right, so that was chapters 7, 8, and 9. Um, we're getting ready to um, finish up and wrap up chapters uh, 10, 11, and 12. So hopefully you guys are still reading with us. Uh, Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. Thank you for listening to Training for Manhood. If you found the conversation to be valuable, make sure to rate us where you listen to podcasts. Also, check out additional content on our website, trainingformanhood.com. That's training, the number four, manhood.com. Until next time, in the words of King David, be strong and show yourself a man.